welcome to the FE Research Podcast with Joe and Alistair, a podcast that aims to shine a light on the practitioner inquiry, scholarship and research being carried out within further education. I, I love teachers that live for the question. And, uh, and I was just like, that, that just right there is like the, that, that's the gold standard of, you know, what a, what a great teacher is, is somebody who lives, lives for the question. Hello and welcome to the FE Research Podcast. My name is Jo Fletcher Saxon, and uh, with me today, uh, my partner in crime, uh, Alistair Smith. <laughs> Hello, Alistair. And our guest today is James Tarling, also known on Twitter as Tap Out Education. Hello, James. Hello, everybody. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. How, how have you been in lockdown, James? Uh, <laughs> uh, well, uh, you know, kind of reckoning with my inner demons, uh, trying to be a lighthouse of positivity at the same time, um, like everybody else, really, you know, juggling lots of plates. Again, I suspect like a lot of people listening, we've got kids at home doing full-time home learning. We've got mum and dad full-time learning and juggling other things. So, um, yeah, so this isn't actually me. This is um, a clone of myself that I made this morning um, who I've been asked to, you know, I've been getting to do all the nice things. Well, I, I'm, I'm, down at, I'm down in the office working on an annual review at the moment. Right, okay, so, yeah. okay. Right, so we, we met, um, well, we met through Brewer Defi, you and I, didn't we? Um, although we are both linked, well, all three of us are linked to the Sunset Programme. But do you want to tell everybody then um, a bit about yourself, um, what your role is, what you do? Yeah. Uh, yeah, so um, I've been in teaching in one shape or form for about 20 years altogether. Um, and I've sort of done a bit of everything, actually. I feel like I've been in all, everything from sort of primary to HE and teacher ed and beyond and stuff. Um, currently, um, I'm the head of learning and progress at Oakwood Court. Uh, specialist college which is basically uh, a special needs fe college um in the southwest um i'm also just sort of taking on the role of senko uh, there as well which is a really interesting and a new experience um although my kind of the beginning of my career actually was in, in special needs uh, and autism uh worked in uh, uh pupil referral units and did quite a lot of peripatetic music teaching in the beginning uh, but the big sort of bulk of my career and i think when i first kind of met you um you and sanjo at arpc in 2018 that was i was a fe i was a kind of fe lecturer and kind of advanced practitioner um and then i've done a, i've done a few bits and bobs of sort of you know half teaching half kind of middle management but always with that sort of strong uh, teaching and learning focus. I think, um, yeah, I, 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 in, it, I think a good way of just summing me up really is that I'm a kind of um, failed rock star musician who found that he was probably better at teaching than he was at being a rock star. Um, and but I've never quite, you know, there's still a little bit of badness left in my soul. Um, I'm sure I can't remember who I'm quoting there saying that probably probably Bruce Springsteen or something like that. I apologies if I've just alienated most of the podcast listeners. I'm, sure, I'm sure you can still keep that dream alive, Jay. <laughs> yes, keep it alive. One yeah. day, one day. Well, um, I, I may yet do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so what so what we're here to talk about is your research, and if, 
you're going to tell us a bit about it, but I'm interested in how you even became interested in the whole subject of flow. Where did that all begin? And then tell us what you've been up to. Yeah. Oh, okay. So uh, do you want the, <laughs> do you want the abridged version of the answer to that question? Would you like the succinct version? Or, or should I try? Well, I'll start. You know what? We've only got about twenty minutes, James. So you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What for that question? Uh, no. So um, okay. So uh, okay. I mean, basically, uh, music industry. So um, I spent a lot of the nineties and early noughties in music, working in the music industry and teaching, and um, I just was kind of really profoundly interested in. Um, those states of kind of, I suppose, you know, Maslow would call them peak experiences, um, where you absolutely get locked into the moment. Um, you know, bands talk about kind of developing telepathy and all these kinds of crazy things when they're really playing at their absolute limit and at their best. Um, and um, that's something that kind of kept me going through the industry. So although I say failed rock star musician, and I, you know, I've had I've had some success, but like all musicians, it, it's peaks and troughs. And looking back up. I kind of realized the thing that kind of kept me going and kept me vocational um, was this these peak experiences because actually I would do those things that get me to those experiences whether you paid me or not whether I was successful or not and the funny thing is when I got into teaching particularly secondary school teaching I had there was a bit of a there was a flow wasteland for a few years I was in the wilderness uh, and then um, I went for my first my NQT teaching job at a secondary school in West London and experienced it again during the interview and, and I, I, I didn't really have a name for it um, but later on when I got into FE, um, that, those series of experiences kind of collided with um, what, what I felt to be at the time, um, maybe slightly uh, melodramatically, but as, as a kind of an epidemic of mental health issues in FE students. And, um, and I was teaching music technology and music performance primarily, and I was really kind of overwhelmed with what to do and what could I, what could I infuse into or with my pedagogy, if you like, um, to try and make it better. And I think in, in my head, the, 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 the concept sort of came to mind of healthy learning. So it's kind of learning in the classroom where you're not necessarily outsourcing people with mental health problems to counselors or doctors or you know prescriptions and so forth. Um, but it's just doing good good pedagogy that that makes people feel all right, you know. Mm. And and while I was reading, I read around a lot of stuff. I, I became a mindfulness in schools practitioner, so I joined the mindfulness in schools project for a few years, um, and found that that just didn't work for it. You know, some people love it, but, but a lot, of particularly music tech teenage boys in particular, no sexism intended, but were like was pretty hit and miss whether you could get those guys to meditate or not. Um, and I was reading around and I came across this book, uh, Flow by Milatic Sent Me High. Um, and before that, um, I, my lead into it, although I haven't got it here, was uh, Flourish by Martin Seligman, who is one of the kind of uh, founders of the positive psychology movement. And, and even Guy Claxton as well, actually, with his building learning power, references it. And in fact, lots of people reference it, it, it turns out. Um, and I felt I got into this idea of flow, really. And, and it, it just seemed to be a bit of a meeting point of like, well, if you, we know from certain amounts, certain research that kind of people that experience flow a lot, it's find a lot of happiness and kind of well-being. It's a sort of the expression of your, your best self in some ways. Uh, and that through doing that, you, you feel better. Um, uh, obviously, I'm grossly simplifying. Um, and it just sort of struck me like, well, okay, if we can get people doing the things they really want to do, 
and experiencing more flow in the classroom, then maybe they'll feel happier. So um, we're going to getting a double win of uh, making vocational progress and academic progress, but also maybe having some kind of well-being benefits um, that I can control as a teacher. Or that I, that, and this is an important point. That it started out with what I can control. Um, mm. And by the end of you know, the fourth or fifth iteration of the research, um, it's now all about what we can control together. Um, but yeah, I think that's why it's been music industry, mental health issues and uh, finding, yeah, exactly, exactly. Okay. So, um, has it got a title? Have you got a title yet? Now you've moved to uh, the PhD level, does the title change or? <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm so glad you asked me that. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. What is yeah. the going to be? Yeah, no, it's a good question. Uh, let me, let me I'll bring it up for you in a second. So off the top of my head, I, I can't think of it. It's basically, uh, in essence, it's um, what is the uh, experience of the tap out curriculum and uh, whether learners experience flow uh, and if so how do they perceive that flow state and what difference does it make really so um, it, 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 the, and the reason why I kind of hesitate in saying there is one version is because I'm still tweaking but there have been a number of iterations of the research and I think it's probably maybe better understood by thinking kind of first iteration was do students experience flow and if so where second iteration was oh so they do um let's have a bit of a closer look at some of the, the specifics of those incidences and when and when it happens or maybe teasing on the why of it of it happening um third iteration was going okay we think we know i think i've got some idea about where and when and why it happens um and then i met uh the next kind of big guy lawrence stenhouse we've got his seminal work introduction to curriculum research and development and this notion of the process curriculum uh, and I'd started to basically toy around, uh, and this is this is at the beginning of my sort of relationship with with Sunset. So at this point, I was an unwittingly uh, a bit of a behaviourist, and I was I, I thought I can design a curriculum based on student feedback to make them have more flow, um, which which sounds sort of pretty blunt and crude and wrong on a number of levels to me now. Um, but at the time, that's what I was doing. So the third and fourth iterations was, was really doing that. And the latest version, which is where the question is, is really to, is all about really looking more closely um, and more rigorously um, at what the student experiences of being part of that tap out curriculum. Right. Okay. Thank you. So, um, who how have you sort of how have you carried it out this piece of research then who's been involved and of course you've changed jobs working with a different set of learners so has that made a difference as well um yeah so i'll start with the first bit so over the four years so sort of 2015 to 19 so uh, we basically scooped up about 120 learners wow. um and a handful of staff in the process uh, and that would be from kind of level three through to level five. So we've kind of repeated the research in with different year groups, uh, different levels, um, different class sizes, different you know, uh, gender and social background kind of makeups. Um, so that's the, the sort of the nuts and bolts of that. Um, in terms of my job, I think when I started it, I was an advanced practitioner. Then about halfway through, I got a sort of teaching and learning manager job. And then um, before I left college, I basically did all, all the, the, the research findings but kind of rest with about, uh, yeah, about four cohorts of students um, from, from the college. So in actual fact, at the moment, I'm still, as, as I think I said to you before we went on, on to record, that um, 
you know, I started my new job about three or four weeks before lockdown. So I'm still sort of spinning really from that. So I'm, I'm starting to think about how I can feed into these new loans, but they're a very, very different um, type of learner indeed as yeah. well. So I'm not there yet, um, but it is, it's very much, yeah, level three to level five, FE, yeah. vocational music and music technology students. But maybe bring a whole new angle. Yeah. 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 Well, actually, I don't know if you remember when we were at Bruehead and I did, did my bit. And one of the first bits of feedback we got was somebody saying, this sounds just like what we do in special needs. Uh-huh. And which was really interesting, you know, prescient. Uh, I, and it's, it's come back to me and I, I keep thinking, yeah, I need to revisit that. But haven't haven't had the headspace yet. <laughs> is it OK? So, I mean, is this an inappropriate question? I was going to ask you about emerging thinking or findings now you're mm-hmm. at this stage or is it yeah. still too early or is that appropriate to ask? No, no, it is appropriate to ask. I mean, um, it, I, I, the, the honest answer is that I've kind of done preliminary data collection analysis. And obviously, because I'm doing, um, uh, to sort of get a jump on one of your other questions, but sort of effectively kind of emancipatory, participatory action research. Um, I've been in there in the, um, to quote, I can't remember who, the messiness of it all, yeah. you know, ever since 2015. So, so in a sense, I feel like I've sort of lived with some of the evidence all the time so I, I feel as long as you don't mind me sort of um yeah spouting off and, and not you know not applying the full uh, diagnostic rigor I would like to it then I'm, I think it's it's very appropriate but um I think um if I just dig out the kind of few key points from it I think the main thing for me really is and I, and I think there is a bit of a message of hope in there as well for kind of lockdown um is that um, leaving students alone, you know, is not a bad thing. Mm. Um, And giving students um, space to work on their own real world projects with their own ownership of that part of the curriculum um, is not just okay, it's transformative when it works really well. Um, And again, I'm sort of leaping in there with maybe without kind of explaining too much about it, but effectively we had a kind of curriculum which is a sort of a sequence curriculum where um, it's a bit like riding a bike actually like in the early stages there are stabilizers and there's a lot of scaffolding in checks where we, we're building and I know this is something that's been uh, a bit of a, a topic recently but it's a lot about building trust initially and I think one of the key findings is if you want learners to experience more flow um, you've got to do a lot of kind of soft work with building trust and building relationships But also I think there's quite a bit there in terms, and this is not really my field, but I think um, from kind of dialogic learning and the kind of language and the way you kind of set up dialogic spaces so that people can really feel that that learning is actually a dialogue. It's not just a pretend dialogue or it's like you say it is on one hand, but really it's actually a a hierarchical system of oppression on the other hand. Um, So I think trust is a really important thing and that um, what... um, a lot of my learners were saying, and this was something that was really unexpected actually, was that they um, they felt that it was developing their capacity for empathy and their capacity to work collaboratively, collaboratively with other people, but also to see other points of view. Yeah. And I think one of the things that helped that along, and again, I'm being, you know, a little bit anecdotal now rather than sort of database, but was that we at the beginning of the project part of that trust building process was um the instigation of a a trusteeship model um so i was really inspired by anna craft's book wisdom creativity and trusteeship 
in which she talks about micro heroes um, and in the age of kind of lack of um, yeah lack of trust and respect in kind of public figures that actually what's really needed are these kind of community networks of, of micro heroes who, who kind of work together to make the world a better place basically and and so we effectively trustee is, is like a buddy it's like a learning buddy but there was another dimension that we, we brought in the trustee component to feed directly into assessment so trustees were almost like um, an additional line of assessment feedback that they got before me and it took on a life of its own so that actually the trustees worked on a few different levels so students that were budding together as trustees at the beginning of the projects um, who maybe weren't friendly were friendly by the end um, but they also created these digital networks this is where the dialogic digital dialogic stuff comes in quite nicely they created their own digital spaces where if they couldn't get hold of me at two in the morning and they were working on an essay and freaking out they could go to their trustee and the chances are they'd be up um and also so it, on this. <laughs> yeah exactly and i mean originally i thought about it as a way of facilitating flow actually was that kind of if you have somebody to go to straight away you can bounce idea off that that would actually help generate the flow a little bit because there is also quite a lot of interesting research about uh, around group flow um and actually, I think my PhD, this is, again, why I was a little bit hesitant about giving you a, a clear title, because at the moment, I'm sort of slightly steering in my reading wow. to looking at more stuff to do with group flow. Yeah. Um, and again, it, it was a sort of a byproduct finding of what I've got, but actually a lot of musicians and students kind of talk about this, about there's um, uh, like a slipstreaming effect, that when somebody's really in flow, there's a tendency to kind of get pulled with them. Right. Um, and again, sort of preliminary findings as well. One of the best quotes one of our um, case study interviews came up with was that they said, if the teacher is in flow, then I find it easier to get into flow. Mm -hmm. And the phrase he used was, uh, I'll never forget it, was like, I, I love teachers that live for the question. And, uh, and I was just like, that, that just right there is like the, that, that's the gold standard of, you know, what a, what a great teacher is, is somebody lives, lives the question. So, so in a way, sort of flow is saying, some, is teaching me some quite specific things about how you can construct a curricula, but also how you can manage certain aspects of um, kind of classroom interaction. Um, but also it's sort of saying slightly more esoteric things about what, uh, what cool teaching is, you know. Um, but you could call it that. What cool teaching. teaching looks like. <laughs> what cool teaching is, yeah. Um, yeah, so, uh, and I've totally gone from the tangent there, Joe. Sorry. Those, but they, 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 yeah, but I think, um, I think that, that, that's a big one. And I think um, for me, and this is, this would probably, if I was, you know, when I get to writing it, this would be my kind of conclusions. And I think this is quite a relevant point to make in terms of, a, bunch of stuff that's going on at the moment but just by staying with lockdown for a second um, what I am seeing around a lot is a lot of teachers and I say this with um, I say this with absolute love you know with love and joy and um, there but for the grace of God and doing it myself as well I'd see a lot of teachers under a lot of pressure um, to deliver to a number of different metrics that they, they, they feel they must deliver against um, you know various paymasters, taskmasters and standards and so forth that are kind of producing, you know, bits of paper and spread and worksheets that go home and that, that are all that actually are, that end up kind of basically replicating the less interesting aspects of the class experience at home. Mm -hmm. And and I think what we kind of learned from what happens when you give students ownership of a real world project that is a passion project for them is that um, they go further, you still tick all the boxes, 
that you need for the criteria but they actually progress further they do better um again i'm, I'm a bit reluctant to sort of go into kind of figures of percentages because it is very much a qualitative piece of research but there was certainly some quite compelling evidence um, that suggested that the students that were, were working in this way were doing significantly better than they would do in any any other record. I mean, not just any other start subject, but a number of them were saying this is better than any other experience I've had in my education. Right. And um, and bear in mind, these are all musicians, right? So it, it, it should be said that, um, and this is an anecdotal finding as well, which is that uh, music students, NFE, it, have generally had and this is, oh God, I'm going to make enemies, but, and I'm not saying it's detriment secondary, but they, it was quite shocking how many of them just had a dreadful experience at school. Yeah. And that's not pointing fingers at teachers or schools or anything like that. I think, I think there was, it was almost like there's, a, there's, a, there's something not fitting here with, mm. music, with really kind of full blown um, musicians that have that kind of vocation. They just, they're like a square peg sometimes in the, in the kind of mainstream model. And, and for when they get to FE, we've got this opportunity to kind of like, kind of crack that open. You get the sense once you give them that vehicle, it's like the relief you can feel, you can see the weight lifting off them, you know. There's little um, space, I guess, in the secondary curriculum for creativity. It's just been squashed and squashed and squashed, hasn't it? So yeah. I might have had a time to get to you. Yeah, they're really they're, they're ready. <laughs> yeah, so it, so it's easy for me to kind of bang on about oh this is great and that's great. You know, I think I've got a kind of a Goldilocks subject in a Goldilocks curriculum that, that help make it more possible to happen. And I think one of the things that I hear the most when sort of sharing some of these findings when I've sort of talked in other places um, around about um, is that people go that's that's really great, but I don't see how that's going to work for my level physics curriculum. And right, yeah. Um, and, and I get that. And I, but but what I would say, particularly in time of lockdown actually I, I think in a way we should be seeing this as an opportunity um, to be kind of courageous and to not try and replicate those slightly duller rep repetitive but maybe kind of easier paper-based worksheety kind of um, stuff yeah. that we do in the classroom and to maybe have that you know that that courage to try and build some of these projects externally because actually what does seem to be working well, and actually I can draw on um, my current experience at, at working in special needs is one of the things that we have, I think, started to get right with home learning is we're doing a lot of face-to-face. -face. And I know that, is, again, mainstream in certain contexts, it's very hard to do that with every student. I, I totally get that. But we have made it a real core part of what we're doing. So if you think about kind of trust building is quite often a face-to-face -face thing. And we talked about this earlier about not having cameras on and stuff. Um, Actually, I could see how the first stage of the tap out process, which is the trust building, can happen online. And then the next stage where it's autonomy and building your autotelic personality stage, again, that can happen online and offline with the students designing that. And ultimately what you're ending up with is you're developing students as curriculum leaders, which has a whole raft of other more esoteric benefits yeah. in terms of democratic education, you yeah. know, and the current situation we find with in terms of all these different voices that needs to be heard, that are maybe getting squashed and marginalized and misrepresented. Um, you know, it, it's almost, it feels to me that when you kind of make, when you give people flownership, sorry. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, you, you're opening up that opportunity for a kind of more democratic, less hierarchical discussion. And you're, you're opening up the curriculum and making it saying, actually this isn't, 
it isn't AQAs or QCFs or web screen, it's our curriculum yeah. and we're gonna we're gonna go to work on it. And that, that for me just psychologically feels very different. And I'm you know I'm, I'm not gonna solve the pro the world's problems with that. I'm not saying that at all, but <laughs> but but it will certainly it seems to me it makes learners happy. And I I'm yeah. sorry, I've just totally ranted all over your question there, but <laughs> I think one of the key the key findings is from a well-being point of view to go back to that that original point is the, the the kind of level of kind of well-being less anxiety students being able to be more resilient to do things that they would find otherwise very stressful mm. less so using that using that approach but also dialing in and becoming self-aware of what what your flow triggers are mm. and what really gets you in the zone for a lot of people it just suddenly it was just like losing a bunch of baggage that they didn't yeah. need so okay, i think I, I imagine it's really transformational revolutionary can be okay um, I'm going to hand over to um, Alistair now for uh, the next few questions. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I was fantastic listening to that, James. I, I don't really want to ask any more questions. I'd like you to just carry on <laughs> and go with that. And uh, it's interesting to hear kind of about your findings and things. But I'm, I'm interested in talking to you a little bit about the, the kind of process of researching and um, what that kind of really means to you. And I, I know from just that quick chat just before that, that this will be an interesting question. And it's as simple as, is, is this kind of research process to you um, sort of CPD and, and continual professional development? And I know that you've got some specific thoughts on certainly the, the Sunset programme and the impact that had for you. So I wonder if you can tell us a bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I think... Um, I want to think about this one because I think the, the simple answer is yes. It, it, it is absolutely... Um, CPD based for me um, and obviously I'm a you know I'll wave the book again in case you haven't seen it because it's I sleep with it under my pillow um, but I mean it you know the teacher as research thing which is kind of you know Stenhouse um, kicked off back in 75 or wherever it was um, to me it is more than CPD it, it is as transformational as um, the kind of stuff I'm talking about in terms of flow because it, it works on two levels because I'm I'm very much a sort of believer in a believer and also critic of what you can do with um, action research, particularly kind of participant led action research, that it's, it's kind of CPD in the truest sense of the world that it's true sense of the word, sorry, um, that it's, it's developed my career. It's developed my understanding of myself. It's developed my teaching Kung Fu. I, I mean, a absolutely you know, and um, I, I'm unequivocally a better teacher at the end of it than I was at the beginning. So in that sense, totally CPD. Um, but there's a bunch of other stuff. So, I mean, the, um, just it's exposure to ideas um, and exposure to um, different ways of thinking about pedagogy, which actually it's CPD, but it is also revolutionary. And, um, and I think, uh, I'm very, I have to, want to use this word very, very, very carefully. Um, to the point, I actually may not use it. I will use it. But I'm going to use it with all the caveats being careful. But there was a sense of kind of being um, positively um, radicalised in my thinking about um, pedagogy that, that opened up opportunities and doors in terms of how I teach and how I can make a difference to my learners, but also to, to actually give me that sense of... Um, I'm a big William Blake fan and a bit of a romantic. In fact, I may even read a bit of John Clare later if there's time. But um, uh, 
to kind of draw from all of these things that are interdisciplinary. And I'm sorry, I'm, I'm riffing on the thing, but, but for me, it's like there's the pedagogy, the hardcore pedagogy. But actually, I think my research has got everybody in it from Mott the Hoople, the MC5, John, John Clare, Lawrence Stenhouse. So it's actually bringing all of those things together in this lovely kind of organic cognitive mulch and um, coming up with something that actually has changed me as a person and the trajectory of what I'm actually doing in life. Um, and I think, the, you know, there's a lot of stuff I would never have done um, without it. And I think the, 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 the sunset stuff was just, you know, the, the, has enabled that. Um, but the research has kind of given me a sense, going back to the William Blake, right, you know, that sense of um, warranted um, desire to not cease from mental fight you know and and that, that, that actually the process of teaching is that it's a process of ongoing mental fight and and not letting your sword sleep in your hand because you've had a crap monday and a difficult level two class on a tuesday or whatever it is that bugs you so um that benefit for me is and i'm sorry if i'm being kind of corny but but it's kind of emotional and it's well-being and it's um <sighs> It's a richer experience. I mean, that, that is it. It's a richer experience of being human. So I, I think, I've, again, I've sort of splurged all over your question there to the point that I can't remember what it was you asked. But, but um, yes, it's really good. And it's CPD. And it's everything besides, really. No, actually, that, that, that's it. That, that kind of sums up where I was kind of going with it from talking to you before about, you know, is it CPD? Absolutely. But, but it's more. And, and you covered that um, quite comprehensively there but um normally i'd next ask about kind of um almost kind of measurable impacts and and things like that but actually you've already talked about those and you've talked about the 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 great quote from your learner about um you know living uh, teachers that live for the question and, and uh, those things are really important but what have you been doing to kind of share some of that um findings and impact um certainly with the the wider um research community and and other teachers and and teaching institutions as well besides yeah yeah um so um i, I mean i can I'll just as a little footnote that there are some more uh, kind of uh measurable impact which i can give you i, I do have i do have some nice numbers which I'll, I'll maybe park for later but but to answer the um the sharing side of the question so again i think one of the great um uh strengths of the sunset and etf experience and the FE Research Me um, kind of community and the Swiss communities, it's given me loads of opportunities. So um, I think quite early on, um, I had it in my head. In fact, actually, I should say, before I did Sunset, I did MSET. So I did a year of MSET and it was it was just a year of uh, pupil, uh, practitioner-led practitioner action research. And it, there was no kind of call attached to it. It was just a, a thing I got into because I was teaching PGC and I was going a bit geeky about um, teaching and learning. And, um, that I don't know why I, 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 I do know why it's because I think I, I've always wanted to be a writer um, and my dad always wanted to be a writer and like a, a number of things in life I've only ever kind of half succeeded at a lot of things and I was just I just, I just want to be published I wanted to be able to say to somebody that I've been published somewhere I know it sounds really pathetic and egotistical and stuff and I just thought well I, I can't write bloody stories you know uh, but I'd love writing, so at least I can try and get an article published. So um, I did that from the word go uh, on after the uh, the MSET one, 
And then I did another article after going, I went to ARPC. So again, what Somerset did beautifully was they kind of pushed, pushed us around a little bit, got us into the, into the discipline of writing abstracts and um, consolidating your thinking into kind of, you know, digestible bites. And, and they did, I think they did that brilliantly, you know, in a really compressed, really succinct, supported way. So that meant, I think so quite early on, I, I think it's fair to say I had a bit of an appetite for wanting to do those things. So submitting abstracts to conferences. Um, I was also really fortunate, and I do need to sort of thank Exeter College for this actually, that it also coincided with the time when I was sort of um, teaching and learning manager for the college. So, so in a sense, being a, a kind of intelligence gathering entity in the college machinery um, uh, was, you know, was quite appropriate with that, with, that, with that role. And it also allowed me to encourage other staff at the college to kind of follow on some of the different MSET programs. So I, I think I did loads. I did um, ARPC. I did. Um, I got asked to do some of the AOC conferences. Um, I was also teaching in HE, so I did some stuff related to that. Um, and I, I think that, uh, probably in there as well. I, I'm a. Instead of saying I'm a sort of self promoter is. Um, <laughs> well, it's just the, the truth, you know. And it's it's not kind of eager, but I think there's there's like. A, Again, it's this, it's a failed rock star thing. I think it's really important in life that you identify what it is you feel you missed out on or what you feel that you're good at, but you're not, you know, there's a bit of angst. Everything I do is driven by a certain amount of angst and self-loathing. Um, at the same time, whilst thinking that you are a beautiful, glorious being of joy at the same time. And I've got this constant tension. So I basically went everywhere and did whoever would have me chat. Um, but a really key one, though, was going to the ARPC conference, which um, Gary Husband and, and others um, coordinated, which was, a, I will honestly say, it was a life-changing weekend. It was a joy. It's where I met Joe and Sam for the first time. And I, and I had a punt at doing a session there, and it was, it was terrifying, um, but, but brilliant. So, uh, and I think, and following that, there was a call for papers after it when I did the second one and I just it, again that was it was like what well, bits of things like doing the referencing a lot was like pulling teeth um, but actually for me writing in terms of flownership to get back to it for me uh, music and writing for me and teaching are my sort of three places and wild swimming sorry but part of that so those are my those are my big three so I, I find it quite easy in some ways to to write um, so I just got on with that and then doing the papers led to having abstracts and sort of, I suppose, starting an academic career, but, uh, but I definitely don't see myself as an academic. Um, I, you know, I see myself as a teacher practitioner. Um, and I think that the best um, way of describing that kind of relationship of teaching and practice and research, to come back to your question, Alistair, um, was, again, uh, over a conversation with, uh, I'm going to forget his name, but is, is it Shuki? Uh, yeah, Dr. Shuki, who I absolutely, I met him for you know, about half an hour at Brewhead and just, you know, kind of academically fell in love uh, with the guy. And we, we both separately had this kind of thinking about um, the idea of gonzo research. And, and so I think, if anything, I, I sort of see myself as a bit of a gonzo researcher. I'm in there doing it. There was a wonderful article again. I, I think it might have been David Powell certainly shared it on Twitter to do with the messiness of research and kind of how that's okay. I think to kind of to distill the complex methodology into something very simple, but it's kind of okay. Um, so I think, yeah, that, that that's kind of how I work. And I will just say with a, with a caveat on the Gonzo thing, um, I, I, I find it, for me it's um, it's spirited, but not fully baked. 
is what gonzo means to me and i think that's how i kind of feel about my research and i do i do my damnedest to be really warranted relatable and and vigorous as i can um, but there is a bit of me that is that is forever on stage somewhere in 1990s and can't help kind of wanting to sort of show off a bit um so but and, and i will also say with the gonzo thing as well I, and I, uh, that i i i I think that's a problematic term. I think Dr. Hunter Thompson, who is the uh, the originator of it, is a deeply problematic man on a number of levels. So I'm, I'd like to distance myself from some of those problems. But but the idea of um, spirited, and but maybe not fully baked is is where I'm at. So I'm just thinking now on that theme. If as teachers we are reflective of the thing we failed at and wanted to be, <laughs> Alistair, I'm going to ask you a question. <laughs> What is that thing? You have to unmute yourself. Um, well, I was, I was listening to James, and when he said about wanting to write, one of my motivations for doing this and about being kind of published, and, and I've, I've done a few things now, um, my motivator is, is just to, to wave gently to my English teacher that, that said I'd amount to nothing and I wasn't very good. Um, so actually, um, it, that, that's kind of my little motivator there, really, that... Um, kind of failed in that aspect through the the kind of schooling situation, but just wanted to prove a point that I can turn that round when I kind of want to and, and chosen. So yeah, what about you, Joe, and and your um, motivator on that one? Uh, being a stand-up comedian. Ah, there you go. Yeah, yeah that would be mine. Yeah. Okay, right. <laughs> so I think we're getting to the end now, aren't we? Um, so we should draw things to a close. But before we do, James, what you often do is read something to us, a bit of poetry or something. So you uh, you're going to do that today? I will do, yeah. Um, and I, I might have to give you. I've got such a menu. I have to give you because I couldn't. I couldn't decide. And I, I have also written a theme tune for Effie Research Me, which I will Brilliant. share. Will share. See, it never, it never, give, never give up. I think that's <laughs> the key thing. There is never give up. Um, uh, I, but just to go back to Alice's point, I think something from talking to teachers on the Flow Project as well is um, that I think most educators have a problematic relationship with education. Mm. You know, at, at some point, there's some, there's some little push or nudge. Some of us like had a great time. We want to give a great time to somebody else. And there, there are those teachers there. But I think most people have had a problematic relationship. And more often than not, we tend to return to the, the sector in which we received the greatest wound. Um, but that's uh, that's uh, that's that you know super anecdotal there. But that, that's my feeling. Um, okay, so options. You've got the um, I'll, maybe I'll finish if there's time with the the theme tune. It literally it's like a thirty second blip, but yeah, it's all it's it's awful post punk doggerel. But I'll, I'll give you that. So um, now, what? Well, yeah, okay. So um, I was really mindful of the fact that. Um, there are big stuff, big things going on in the world with Black Lives Matters. Um, also the J.K. Rowling thing has kind of revealed a whole area of kind of critical inquiry. Um, you know, that I think that, 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 that there's just so much, there's so many voices that need to be heard that I was really thinking, you know, uh, white, you know, I've kind of, I've got in a way working class roots, but white male privilege, blah, 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 blah. you know, what, what is, is relevant about me and how can I say something valuable that, that isn't crap? And, and I'm not sure I can really, um, but I've got options which might help because I think um, my key message, or you can ask me that anyway, because I can tell you my key message because it's related to the poems. What do you want me to do? Keep, yeah. yeah. So, I, so basically, flow for me is like the Tao. 
Um, it is, you know, it's it, that kind of notion of Taoism. It's the flow. It's, 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 the, it's the cosmos. It's everything. And part of life is about managing to stay on that flow or knowing when you're off that flow. So I've got a very, very brief, almost haiku from Alan Watts's book, Tao the Watercourse Way, which I kind of, which can encapsulates that. I've also got the corollary of that, which is John Clare's poem, I Am, which is what happens when we are not, when we're disconnected, when we're alienated and when we're alone. Um, and for me, which is what, some of what we're talking about and also what great education is the antidote for. And then lastly, because, and this is like, this is my hand-fisted attempt, because um, I'm a huge fan of American poetry. I did my, my original degree was English Lit. And I got this really old book of English work and I literally was looking for something and it fell over on the page of Sonia Sanchez, uh, who is a, an American, uh, a black American uh, female uh, poet uh, called Right on White America, which I kind of wanted to read, because uh, I, was, I was really not stunned personally, but I, I really took uh, Kay Sidebottom's point she made about if you're going to quote you know, if it's, it's a danger of being self-aggrandizement, I know that, you know, I'm a bit of a fiend for self-aggrandizement because <laughs> of my inner insecurity. So I'm really careful not doing that. So I was really dubious about reading, but kind of wanted to. So I, you've, got, you've got a menu there, or uh, I could read a bit yeah, of all, I, or all three quickly. I've, I've, got a, I've got a feeling here that, that actually the, the first one, um, obviously directing you towards the flow and being in line with the universe, would then in theory direct you to the... To the last option there because it fell okay. open on the page as fate would deliver thank you i ching nice you got it alistair brilliant so we should go with that yeah okay yeah. right okay so um yeah, 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 yeah let's find the thing i've got it bookmarked here we are okay so this is just a little one i'll start with the first thing um i've gone all shaky now here we are. Yeah, the Tao, the Tao that cannot be told is not the absolute Tao. The way that can be told is not the unvarying way. The Tao that is the subject of discussion is not the true Tao. The way that may truly be regarded as the way is other than the permanent way. The flow that can be followed is not the eternal flow. The course that can be discoursed is not the eternal course. The force that is forced isn't true force. The Tao that can be doubted is not the invariable Tao. There is something obscure which is complete before heaven and earth arose. Tranquil, quiet, standing alone without change, moving around without peril. It could be the mother of everything. I don't know its name and I call it Tao. Or I call it flow. Fantastic. So, <laughs> So going on to a bit of Sonia, um, and again, apologies, I'm going to read this wrong and I'm not contextualising it well, but um, I think this is great. And uh, I, I'm, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm going to quote from a, a lyric from Galliano, Galliano and not the hoople first. So Galliano in the 90s, he said, I come with respect, not as a vulture, uh, first of all. And um, from what the hoople, uh, it's, is this concrete all around or is it in my head? from all the young dudes. So that's my little preface, and here we go. Right on, white America. This country might have been a pioneer land once, but there ain't no more Indians blowing Custer's mind with a different image of America. This country might have needed shootouts daily once, but there ain't no more real white, all American bad guys. Just you and me, black and unarmed. This country, 
might have been a pioneer land once, and it still is. Check out the falling gun shells on our black tomorrows. Oh, what a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. That's all right. Do you want the theme tune? <laughs> yes, yes. Let's end on the theme. Go tune. on. You can see you're going to have to edit this. Right. <laughs> you can't get rid of me. All right. This is like, it's rubbish. I wrote it in 10 minutes, but it's for you. <laughs> <laughs> can you hear that? Every research bee, every research bee, every research bee, every research bee. It's not a leak, it's from the street. Every research bee, every research bee. Teacher, as researcher, it's not gonna hurt ya. Effie, search me. Effie, research me. It's for leaders and teachers. True believers in the power of education emancipates the nation. Effie, research me. Effie, research me. John Dewey, for me and you, Lee. Thank you very much. That's fantastic. Thank I've you. got visions of Joe coming onto the uh, onto the, onto the stage there with the yes, fantastic probably. shoes with that playing. Yeah, yeah. Let's get let's get the band together. Come on. Yeah. Thank you so much. Okay. Right. We're gonna say goodbye officially now before we press stop record. So Indeed. thank you so so much, uh, James. Everybody's just gonna love listening to that. So yeah. thank you. Well, thank you for having me. It was a, bit, a real pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, it's great listening to you talking about that, James, and thank you very much for joining us. You've been listening to the FE Research Podcast. You can follow the conversations on Twitter using the hashtag FE Research Podcast. Thanks for listening, and hopefully you can join us again soon.